the goal of the chain is to provide IBC execution on behalf of connected chain. And, and, and I think like long-term, this is the model that chains are gonna move towards. I'm thinking that 50 is probably the upper bound for number of like meaningful EVM L2s. I sincerely don't believe that the current approach taken by existing solutions will scale. I'm actually a lot more bullish on the idea of... Welcome to the Bare Metal Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Bare Metal Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your Ship to Code from Rockoy X. And today I've got here Bodoof of Polymer Labs. Welcome. Nice to be here. You know, thanks for the invite. Uh, excited to talk about the number of topics we have prepped for, for today. Super. So let's start with the first one, and that's uh, you. Um, uh, you know, who are you? How did you get into crypto? Can you give us the rundown? Yeah. Um, you know, my personal background started in Web2. So I worked at a number of startups, uh, ranging from small to somewhat larger ones. I worked at Uber on the on one of their software infrastructure teams. I worked on this like metrics and monitoring database called M3. Uh, ended up leaving to start a company, help start a company called Chronosphere. Joined that company as the first hire. Uh, I was a core database engineer there. And I think the love for databases kind of carried over to, to blockchains. I, I really just see blockchains as just another database type of database system, uh, albeit it's uh, Byzantine fault tolerant. There's other you know conditions that you want to satisfy when you want to make it decentralized. You're not just running like you know Postgres uh, configured by like an etcd cluster or something. Um, there's <clears throat> a number of there's a lot of interesting considerations I would say. And I think during my time at Chronosphere, I was kind of exploring and playing around in, in the DeFi space, trying to learn more about DeFi, uh, experimenting with some of these um, uh, various like DeFi protocols as well as interop protocols. And I realized that there was a, this like gap where there needed to be a lot of work done to ensure that the world or the uh, ecosystem as a whole converges to a single unified interoperability standard. And I, even at the time, it was kind of clear to see that there was some definite going to be some fragmentation going on. And we're, we're continuing to see that fragmentation grow. To put it mildly. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of funny. Like in the, in the Cosmos ecosystem, there's kind of, you know, IBC was there from the start. So like everyone can kind of rally and, and agree on at least like one thing um, among others. And uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem, it's kind of like everyone just, you know, doing their own thing. So, so we, we hope to, 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 ch to change that in, in, in the future. So that's why you guys founded Polymer Labs. Who were your co-founders? When was when were Polymer Labs founded? Yeah, we were founded in uh, 2021. Actually, I, I wasn't. So when I first started the company, I didn't think that we would raise uh, capital, uh, or that wasn't my assumption going in. Uh, I, I had moved to Thailand. I quit my job. I moved to Thailand, and I was I was just living there, um, kind of hacking on like the initial version of, of the product. And it was during that time period that, and I, I didn't actually know about IBC then. It was more of a, okay, the most popular, one of the most popular cross-chain projects then was ThorChain. And we kind of had this idea to say, you know, if we take ThorChain, we remove the DEX logic, you know, it has special signatures, you know, we can kind of, you know, build this interop uh, protocol off of, off of this. This is like the foundation for an interop protocol. That's actually, you know, pretty much what Axlar is. Um, so we're, we're thinking that in the beginning, uh, but as I was, you know, playing around with different technologies to use, we decided on using the Cosmos SDK. And as I learned more about IBC and as we were designing the protocol itself, we were like, oh, wow, we're like, you know, if, if we want to add all the features that IBC has, we're going to get something like very similar to IBC, just in a completely different way. So that's why we kind of shifted focus to IBC like pretty soon. I'll say like end of 2021, 
Uh, that's when we raised capital. Um, myself and my uh, co-founder Peter. Uh, Peter's on the business business side, um, and uh, he has like a strategy consulting background. Okay, so that's a that's a pretty interesting uh, sort of development there, moving toward IBC from a from a custom custom blockchain. And so recently, I uh, I saw I don't remember if it was a tweet or a blog post that you guys are. Uh, considering becoming an ETH or focusing on becoming an ETH L2 instead of being an uh, you know being an app chain, which I take so, so so the basis of the app chain was supposed to be a Thor chain sort of modification, the, or is that the, separate? No, the, the the original one, the like the the hacky thing that we were doing in the beginning was a, a, a Thor chain modification because I was just working on it by myself. Um, I just wanted to you know make something that I could like demonstrate that it could work. Um, but the, the option they were working on, and, and it hasn't changed uh, yet since then. Uh, there, there's a few innovations. One of them is called Virtual IBC, which we'll talk about later. But the goal of the chain is to provide IBC execution on behalf of connected chains. Uh, so, like the goal of that app chain is is, is very different. It's all uh, uh, custom code that we that we wrote ourselves. So, when you say execute on behalf of other chains, can you compare how IBC works between chains now? And, and how it would work like with your chain in the middle there executing on behalf? Because I just have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Yeah, so normally you would have to integrate IBC as a library. So you have to take IBC Go or IBC RS. There's, all, there's also IBC Solidity. Um, that, that one I would say is not like one-to-one -one with uh, IBC Go. IBC Go is much further along. There's certain things that you can't do. It also is not like super performant. Um, so you take one of these implementations, you add it to your chain, and now that your chain has, has any of these impl implemented, you're able to act as a counterpart. So any other uh, chain that implements IBC, you can, you can basically talk directly to them. As long as there's some agreed upon IBC client that understands the state of the other, uh, the two chains can now converse. Uh, <clears throat> with, with Polymer, you know, you, we make it so that you don't have to you know, natively integrate this library. Polymer executes IBC Go on behalf of the connected chain. So we actually execute IBC Go twice. Like once for the connected chain and once for Polymer, if that, if that makes sense. So like we, we try to make it so that the chain that's connected looks just like another IBC chain in the network. And, and, and then the reason why we wanted to do this is because uh, we wanted to give the option of if the chain one day decides to integrate IBC natively, we wanted them to have a clear upgrade path from using Polymer to a native integration uh, seamlessly. So the idea is that at some point, if they were to have you know IBC uh, integrated natively, you could have an IBC channel. You would just say, okay, let me just upgrade this IBC channel to use a different set of connection IDs, and boom, like you're you're on a like a native connection versus like a like a, uh, a hop over polymer connection. But let's go back. So so I've got chain A that wants to you know send an IBC transaction to, or user on chain A wants to send a transaction to you know chain B. So yes. if we're in the nominal you know, standard situation where both integrate IBC, there has to be a channel that's open between them, right? Some relayers in the middle, and then mm -hmm. user uh, can just trigger the IBC transaction relayer, picks it up, uh, start commits to the uh, to the target chain, then goes back and commits the ACK, and you know mm -hmm. everything's dandy. Uh, I sort of understand how this works, but now if there's Polymer in the middle. Which is acting as a counterpart, like it's got it's it's executing IBC. You said it's executing IBC twice. Can we dig into this one more time? And then, you know, how does Polymer talk to the target chain? That's what I'm interested in. So, if I'm on the yeah. source chain and I want to execute a transaction that talks to the target chain, but there's no IBC on the target chain, can you 
Can you like go, you know, packet by packet, let's say? Yeah. So normally, let's say you're on osmosis and you want to go from osmosis connected to polymer connected to uh, base, for example. And base doesn't have IBC implemented. Uh, on, on osmosis, you would say, I want to send a packet to over these two connection IDs. There's going to be one connection between osmosis and polymer. There's going to be another connection between polymer and base. Uh, I'll, I'll get into what that connection looks like in a, in a, in a second. And there's, there's these two connection IDs. So you've established an IBC channel over this uh, two connection hop um, uh, between osmosis and, and base. And just let me interject, that's because Polymer knows that these connection IDs are, it should be routed by Polymer to base. Right? Whatever well, comes osmosis. over these two connection IDs from osmosis, you know you should go and talk to base. So connection IDs are relative to the chain that they um, originate from. So osmosis's connection ID to Polymer is something that only like osmosis is, is aware of. So like osmosis knows. Oh, okay, okay. So, so Polymer isn't aware of the connection ID. Okay. Yeah, anyone can connect to Polymer. Anyone can create these connection IDs. Polymer is only aware of like connections relative to, to it. It's kind of a funny thing. Like none of these connection IDs are actually associated with any chain IDs. If, if, if you have a chain ID construct, it's not really... Uh, like it's just kind of like a social consensus around what that chain yeah, ID is. Yeah, it's a crazy namespace. Anybody can yeah. come up with. I don't know what has has there a chain ID been ever been duplicated? Like, what if I spin up a chain that's called Osmosis One? I don't know if that creates uh, mayhem yeah, I mean, or not. I mean, you could absolutely do that. Like, I, like I could connect to the hub and create a new connection. So, so this is a little like, tangent, but I, I could create another um, like a fork of Osmosis or like a fake Osmosis connected to the hub, like advertise my connection ID as like, actually this is. Like the connection ID to osmosis, and you could probably <laughs> trick some people into like transferring some tokens over there. Yeah, yeah. I this I always thought this was a very very strange. But anyway, let's let's go sort of back on track. So, osmosis. I am on osmosis, and I want to uh, you know send some sets like send a transaction to base. We're not going to talk in detail about what that does, uh, but okay. I'm on osmosis. There's uh, there are channels to polymer, and then uh, so the, the, the channel be to base. Um, but it would go over Polymer. Um, oh, so so Osmosis knows the channel is to base. Uh, like it, it, it wouldn't know that it's like base is in. It, there's social consensus around it being base, mm -hmm. but it's it just okay. it's just two connection IDs. The two connection right. IDs could be anywhere. It just said by social consensus, people think it's base. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so on Osmosis, I I trigger uh, an IBC transaction. The first first hop it reaches is Polymer. Yes. So the state of the packet is committed to on osmosis because osmosis implements IBC Go. So when osmosis says, I want to send a packet over this channel, that packet gets committed to uh, osmosis state. And now on the base side, what, um, what, what, what Palmer does is it acts as the uh, I was like, interceptor. So the state, the IBC state is not managed by base. The IBC state is managed by Polymer. If, if, does, does that make sense? Yeah. So, so Polymer is implementing the IBC counterparty here on behalf of Base. Yes. Yeah. So, so it says, okay, I see, and there's a relay in the middle that's, I guess, it's moving, or maybe you guys get rid of those. I don't know, but so, somebody needs to tell Polymer, like there was a the state change in osmosis, there was an IBC uh, transaction was initiated. Yes. So you pick up, you pick this up, and now, now I'm curious what Polymer does with this information because Base doesn't have that IBC client, right? So, what happens now? Yeah. So Polymer takes the packet, 
that uh, was committed to on osmosis and it says, I will receive this packet. But the packet is not executed. So we've separated the, uh, obviously like app, IBC application layer between the IBC transport or core layer. And we, and we separated the two. If you, if you look at uh, like Cosm Wasm, uh, how uh, smart contracts are implemented there, it's, it's, it's a similar idea where in the uh, Cosm Wasm VM, you can implement IBC modules as smart contracts, but the actual execution of the IBC logic does not happen in Cosm Wasm. It happens in IBC Go. If, if that makes sense. This, this is happening all in the same Cosmos chain, except now we're saying that uh, there's this EVM that's like remote on base, and then there's like all this IBC logic on Polymer. So, so we execute the packet, or sorry, we commit to the packet, but this packet's not executed. Right. The, the um, packet execution is async to, 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 to Polymer. And on Polymer, we have this uh, local IBC connection uh, between Polymer and uh, we, we call the connected chain like a virtual chain. And we call the uh, IBC commitment on behalf of that chain a virtual commitment. So we have this like local connection on Polymer that re represents a connection. We call it a virtual connection to uh, to base. And then another relayer would pick that packet up and then relay that to to to, to base. So so base also has an IBC client for Polymer. So like the connection itself is still formed between the two chains. It's just that the statefulness of IBC or the actual commitment to the IBC data um, uh, only happens on Polymer. So like once we've executed the packet. On base, we return the results of the execution onto Polymer, uh, and we commit that uh, we commit to that on Polymer before the acknowledgement can be returned uh, back to Osmosis. Osmosis. Right. Yeah. But so now I'm slightly confused because you're saying like so base has an IBC client for Polymer. So did you guys deploy that or? Yes, we we would deploy that. Um, like we, Polymer is still so like because there's still two uh, connections here. Base still has it. Base needs a way to verify that the information coming from Polymer is valid, and Polymer needs a way to verify that the um, uh, execution of Base is valid. And same for Osmosis to, to Polymer as well. So, like <clears throat> the uh, requirement of like counterparty clients or counterparty IBC clients is, is still uh, still a requirement. <clears throat> so, but Base would be using, let's say, IBC Solidity, which you guys can deploy on Base uh, without Base. Um, being sort of you know without permission changing the base code bases. Yeah, yeah. With, with, the, with the one exception being that IBC Solidity is a full implementation of IBC, including all the stateful, um, <clears throat> including all the commitments. Uh, Where ours is more of like a uh, like a thin like, like a pared down version that focuses on the yeah. execution. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Okay, so that's a. That's a pretty complicated construction to sort of wrap my head around. I'm still processing it, but it feels like so. So what you've reached by this, and let's just confirm that, is that you can now you've now be able to talk from osmosis to base without base necessarily changing their code base to implement an IBC uh, an IBC client on their side. Yeah, and, and and I think like long term, this is the model that chains are going to move towards in terms of inter IBC integrations in general. Um, and, you know, we've been talking a lot with the uh, IBC team at the ICF. And, you know, this is kind of a potentially a preferred approach to, I mean, like, not just with Polymer, right? Like, you can take IBC Go, you can run it as a separate process within the same chain. Like, let me, let me know if this makes, make, makes sense or not. So, like, you can take, um, unless you have like this, like, this like IBC ABCI application. So, like, in a Cosmos SDK app, now you can say, like, I have multiple ABC applications for my single Cosmos SDK chain. I have one ABCI application for IBC, and like that's kind of what like Polymer does. Like I am the ABCI app for 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 IBC, and I will like provide IBC execution on your behalf. 
<clears throat> and then you have like your the rest of your application logic, be it osmosis or um, uh, <clears throat> uh, some other like apps in the chain. And uh, the IBC side is, is self-contained and can just be connected, but it's also asynchronous with respect to uh, the actual VM. So th this this model is uh, kind of like a, a step further from what's happening in uh, Cosmwasm uh, to IBC Go uh, today. So this is kind of like taking that and being like, okay, let's take it a step further. We'll split things up a little bit even more so we can kind of abstract some, some things away and, and standardize on, on, on some things. <clears throat> this is reminding me of, um, I, I do believe Agoric implements, because they have a custom VM, they actually implement some of the, some of the um, sort of transaction types, which would be our function calls, which would go straight through Cosmos SDK through IBC actually. So they talk to themselves. The VM talks yeah. to talks yeah. to the chain via 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 IBC for some yeah, for yeah. some specific transactions. It reminds me of this sort of construction. Yeah, it, it, there are some similarities. So, so I'm not uh, I don't have like full context on exactly what uh, Agoric's constructions look like, but I, I do understand that a lot of the uh, I'll say IBC features that we work with were uh, pushed for and introduced by Agoric. For example, <clears throat> async acts. Uh, I believe was something that uh, Agoric, you know, uh, had had pushed for because they they were doing what you, what you said, which is, you know, there's like this IBC thing on this one end. There's all these kind of like Agoric JavaScript applications running in in their in their VM. They want to be able to call between the two, but the execution is happening async to uh, what's going on on the IBC side. So I think there's some <clears throat> like things that we're building off of. So to summarize, like we've gone pretty deep on sort of how Palmer Palmer works. Would this be what's called VIBC, what you guys call VIBC? Yeah, yeah, this is what we're calling virtual IBC. I, I know Agora calls it dynamic IBC, but uh, I, I imagine I there's know. some difference there. That, that I don't know. I don't have full context of that. So, but let's just give it a name, right? So the, the construction which puts a, a, a polymer chain in the middle as, as sort of a, a clearinghouse for IBC packets going in from one chain to, a, to another chain is called virtual IBC. And that doesn't require um, you know, the target chain to actually have um, like an IBC client in the in the code base the yeah. like i'm curious how how you'd compare this to other types of um sort of interoperability um there are some well-known names wormhole axelar hyperlane you know you name it what would yeah. how would you sort of succinctly compare <laughs> no relation to zk how do you compare uh what you guys are doing to you know what what these guys are building yeah i, I would say that if, if I walk, like maybe we can do like a quick run through of the history of um, or the evolution of interop protocols um, as narrated by myself. Um, so I-, I, I Story time, like, folks. <laughs> I, I feel like we started in a place where folks were just doing peer-to-peer uh, -peer initi uh, initially. So one of the first to market, like layer zero was one of the first to market. Um, you had, you know, two styles, you have peer-to-peer, -peer, and then you had hub and spoke that came later. So like Axlar, I'll say Axlar, Wormhole. You can even argue that Chainlink CCIP because the Oracle is kind of sitting in the middle is also somewhat like hub and spoke. <clears throat> and then uh, with like your, uh, like their zeros or hyperlanes, these are these are peer-to-peer. -peer. You deploy some set of smart contracts. Um, you need kind of a point-to-point -point, uh, connections between all the peers that want to communicate with one another. Uh, so th so these, these are these the, the, the two current operating models. <clears throat> We wanted to improve on this in, uh, in, in, in one specific way because we saw that a lot of activity is going to flow to, uh, to, to rollups. And for rollups to communicate, there's 
the reason why you would build a rollup in the first place, you build a rollup because you get the trust minimized, like bridge access to the L1. Uh, you also get security from the L1. You get trust minimized communication between L2s if you use the native bridge. Uh, it, it does take a long time if you use like um, optimism and base. You want to do a full sure. round trip. It's going to take you 14 days. Uh, sure. It's kind of slow. So the front um, push period, like, yeah. Yeah, but the, 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 there's, there's these different properties that you know you, you, you can retain. Uh, it's fine with peer-to-peer. -peer. So like if you, if you have a peer-to-peer -peer network deployed on top of these rollups, uh, you can if you use a native bridge for verification, you can technically um, uh, in, you can technically enforce the same trust minimized properties of roll to roll communication. But if you add a hub and the hub is not of the same domain as the uh, rollup ecosystem is, uh, then you're introducing a random third party that breaks the trust model of roll to roll of communication. So we wanted to introduce this concept of domain-specific interoperability. It's the idea of introducing a, um, a domain-specific hub. So a hub that belongs to Ethereum, which, which is why we're building an Ethereum L2, that can provide scalable connectivity. So you don't have to establish an n squared number of connections. Uh, you can get connectivity with uh, n connections. And also, with, while retaining the same security properties of, uh, or trust minimized security properties of roll-to-roll -roll communication. So there's like a, like a third operating model that, that, that we're working on, and uh, we believe that we're the, we're the first. And when, when you say same domain, is that defined by sort of like a common settlement layer, DA layer, like these, these have to be the same? Or what's the, do when you say domain specific, what's the domain specified by? It's, it's all these properties. If, if you use a different settlement layer, uh, that your domain now shifts a, right. a, a little bit. If you change this, the DA layer, the security properties of your protocol shift. Like using Ethereum for DA is not the same as using Eigen DA, is not the same as using Celestia DA. Right, which brings us to this sort of broader topic of, of interoperability for the modular world. So if, 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 you know, if we thought it's complicated for monolithic chains, it's about to get much more funky. As like right now you have basically different sort of, let's say service providers uh, for these layers and uh, any sort of interop needs to be aware of what all these parts of the stack are doing. So I think like we're, we're about to get one level deeper. So everybody brace. Um, let's start with, you know, what's modularity? What, you know, how do, you know, how, how that, how does that connect to rollups? How is the stack split up? Can you take us through what's a modular uh, chain construction? Yeah. So I think for a long time, folks had, uh, a very like m monolithic view of chains, and that's how they were designed. Uh, but with you know the in, in, um, influx of all these different alt DA layers, uh, kind of like the, the modular narrative that you know Celestia has been pushing, uh, folks have started to kind of expand how they think about blockchains, and they realize that like blockchains can be uh, of many parts. You can have uh, a data availability layer, you can have a uh, consensus layer, you can have an execution layer, uh, you can have a settlement layer. You can have all these you know, different ingredients that you make up a single logical chain and the logical chain can be represented in like many different ways. So for to prove that the state transition function of a chain is, is valid, you're going to have to prove each of these parts uh, individually and as a whole and, and, and tie them and somehow tie them together to convince yourself that I'm looking at this chain that is actually like composed of all these different parts from all these different places and that I can be convinced that this chain is now stepped forward uh, a single block, if that makes sense. Is that something you guys are focusing on right now because you want to be you know, partners in this L2 world and be the interop layer for ETH L2s? Is that like your main focus right now? 
Yes. So we, we are we are focused on trying to verify all the properties uh, of the rollups that are communicating with one another. So like we want to be able to verify that they have settled properly, that they, they have reached uh, some level of finality, uh, that there is validity to the, um, the, the state transition itself. And we want to verify these things um, uh, via the, the clients that we're, that we're working Is on. this in the research phase right now, or are you guys like writing code? Have you worked out, okay, these are the pieces we need, and are you writing these individual, um, let's say, you know, I guess different light clients? Uh, are you in this phase, or are you more sort of like at the drawing board? Oh, we're, we're already uh, uh, about to launch Testnet in, in, in a month or, or so. Um, the approach has been, since we're now targeting a specific domain, we can actually rely, like, to give you an example of a client we're working on, we can actually rely on the Ethereum L1 for verification. Since when we connect to all of these different rollups on Ethereum, because we're an, an Ethereum rollup ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, we can say, if a rollup has settled onto Ethereum and we'll check the contracts that they're using to settle with, if you use the native bridge, they'll implement, uh, for, I'm just going to talk about optimistic rollups right now. Um, they're they're going to implement some uh, fraud window, let's say it's seven days. Uh, if, as I mentioned earlier, if you want to use the native bridge, you do the round trip, it's going to take you 14 days. Uh, with the clients that are working on, we can say that, well, you can use the same verification mechanism uh, and we'll make it configurable. We can say that we're okay with anywhere between uh, 14 days all the way down to three hours. And three hours would be, it, it's approximately... Um, about an hour to publish or propose new L2 state routes. And I believe they published uh, DA uh, to the batch inbox on Ethereum, like roughly like every two to four minutes. Um, so you can have <clears throat> with, uh, I guess like, you know, default verification uh, using like the existing settlement contracts on the, as often as they propose, uh, it, like as low as three hours, obviously that's you know risky because you have not waited the full fraud window. Someone can submit a fraud proof and cause a, a rollback, um, but that is a risk that you can you can take on if if, if you're comfortable with it. Um, but we, we can also talk about other um, mechanisms to to essentially like add pre confirmations to uh, the validity of a, of a rollup on top to further secure this communication. Yeah, I guess this is an interesting topic because, like in my mind, obviously, if you want to you know say accelerate the time. Um, in which you consider the transaction like completed or you know the, the, the let's say the funds to be valid to use on the yeah. on the other chain introduces risk as you said so in yes. my mind the configurability would have to sort of do some sort of um, analysis like for values up to xyz yes. you know i'm happy with a shorter time window and i'm willing to take the risk because i'll reimburse uh, you know in case if there's a problem i'll do the reimbursement but so is that what you're thinking of um you know, just like managing the risk level? Yes. Yeah, so like there's obviously cost of censorship associated with censoring fraud proofs. Um, they become, they become uh, I would say like uh, very expensive as, as, as time goes on. Uh, we haven't done the economic calculations yet, but we are planning on doing some exploration there with some partners um, mm -hmm. to kind of give people a sense of like, what is the actual, you know, estimated economic cost of censorship? Um, so like how much, kind of trying to add like a dollar value to the, to the security level here. To have, uh, to sort of look at, you know, amount at risk versus uh, security level, is that? Yes. Is that the, yeah. Okay. And 
as you're developing the interop stack, like what are so what are the pieces you've you've already developed? If if you if you go back to okay, you know, you guys are doing interop between say two different L2s, they're both optimistic. Um and you know, they both settled to Ethereum. Let's let's make some assumptions, or I guess let's, you know, yeah. if you can talk about a recent example, let's make some yeah. assumptions and then what are the pieces that you guys have already written? Yeah, so, so virtual IBC we've had for some time now. Um, previously, we were working on like a number of different uh, IBC clients. We also had a, a ZK Tenement thing that we're working on. By shifting to working on an L2, we no longer have to, you know, verify Ethereum consensus. We are, we derive our state from Ethereum. And Ethereum no longer has to uh, verify our consensus because we don't have consensus as an L2, um, just, just the, the settlement contracts. We've written an IBC client that can interpret the OP stacks settlement contracts, their bedrock contracts. Um, but we would have to write a, uh, I'll say like a, a specific set of, a specific client that can interpret the contracts for different uh, roll-up stacks as well uh, in, in, the, in the future. But with the uh, OP client uh, written, you can essentially permissionlessly integrate Polymer into any OP stack rollup. Let's say like, you know, you're experimenting, you want to deploy an OP stack rollup, uh, you can essentially add an, an IBC connection while verifying the your rollup settlement onto Ethereum um, connected to Polymer without asking for anyone for, for permission to, to, to do so. Right, because they fork the same contracts, deploy them, deploy a new copy. So obviously, like whatever you've written will also be yeah. able to understand the new contract. So that's why now anybody can um, anybody can um, connect to that um, roll up permissionlessly. Yes. Yeah. So they can create an instance of the client. So they would, they would create an instance of the OP, OP client. They'll say that, you know, this client is configured to uh, talk to this specific chain that I just created. And uh, you know, include all the initiation initi initiation parameters, um, and now you have this like new, like unique connection to, to to your new chain. So, are you guys expecting there to be many layer twos? Are you expecting you know what's what's the future that you guys are building for? Are you in the camp that expects a thousand L twos, or in the camp that expects you know fifty? I so it depends on what we're talking about. I, I think for EVM L twos. I think 50 sounds like a lot. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that 50 is probably the upper bound for number of like meaningful EVM L2s. I'll be very surprised if we're in a world with like, you know, millions of meaningful EVM L2s. Um, I'm, I'm actually a lot more bullish on the idea of like app rollups. There's a number of projects both in the Cosmos and, and elsewhere that are talk about uh, app rollups. Uh, from our perspective, it's also why we, you know, went, the, the other goal of ours by building this Ethereum L2 is we went ahead and we took the Cosmos SDK and the OP stack and we combined the two. So normally the OP stack uses OP Geth as an execution engine or other uh, EVM execution or EVM slash Ethereum style execution engines. We replaced the execution engine completely with a Cosmos SDK AVCI application. So now you can write your application with a Cosmos SDK and you can deploy it as a rollup onto Ethereum. And <laughs> I'm, I'm much more bullish on this because it allows builders to hyper-optimize their um, chain for the workload that they care about. And also there's a lot of, there's a lot more customization that you can do outside of the VM layer. Like you can take like a skips block SDK, you can have it plugged into potentially a, a, 
a shared or you know just even like a, a single sequencer and inform it of of things that you know I guess block building rules that you care about. There's a lot of inter other interesting things that you can do. Obviously, there's a growing I'll say like catalog of Cosmos SDK modules um, that I expect to just like grow with time, and, and I expect the the framework itself to become uh, more, more popular as as well. Um, one of the key pain points of, of IBC is relaying, right? I mean, relaying still costs, um, it costs a lot of, um, it costs a lot of money. Uh, mm -hmm. It's unclear how to reimburse relayers. Um, relayers still have difficulties sort of managing this economically. Uh, there have been some talk about, you know, the fee modules, et cetera, uh, would sort of mm -hmm. solve this, but I'm not sure if this is going anywhere. What's your view of, you know, the future, like will relayers be needed or not? What do you think? So relayers will be needed for now. Uh, as long as the world is not in a place where every, and we can talk about like the in-state in, in a little bit later, but as long as there is in our being implemented at the smart contract level, it's impossible for you to kind of standardize on some sort of like P2P a network overlay that can replace relayers, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, it would be quite difficult to do without making significant changes beneath the VM layer. What we can do in the short term is there's uh, ICS-29 in the Cosmos. Uh, I, I believe that they're probably starting to roll that out soon. Uh, they're waiting on channel upgradability. Um, you'd have to use, upgrade existing channels. Uh, the relayers are, I'll say, like ICS-29 aware. Uh, that means that they're, they're, they are aware of the fees there, but I think there, there still needs to be some work to be, uh, there is still needs to be some work done to ensure that the relayers can determine whether or not they'll be profitable uh, relaying a packet, since it's not just enough that, they, that there is a fee. You kind of also have to ask the question of like, okay, I see a fee. Is it like, how much profit will I make actually like relaying this package? That's, that's another question you want to answer. <clears throat> we work with Catalyst. Um, Catalyst is an AMM uh, working on building uh Unified liquidity for millions of rollups, and Catalyst has an incentivization scheme that's a little bit different from ICS 29 uh, that that we've also integrated. So uh, when you use Polymer, you'll be, you'll be able to uh, pick and choose which type of incentive pro, uh, incentive mechanism you want to stack into your application. Can you give me some examples of these incentive mechanisms? I mean, how do they differ from the from the ICS 29? Yeah. When Catalyst made their generalized incentives protocol, they didn't want to make it a fixed fee. They wanted to add some decay. They wanted to incentivize a relayer to relay sooner since they wanted to optimize for UX. So like, um, I think the, the, the default logic, I believe, is you add some fee to the packet. And if the relayer, and you add some like decay logic, and if the relayer relays it immediately, they can be qualified for like 100% of the reward. And if it's like, you know, after 30 seconds, some decay factor is applied. After a minute, some decay factor is applied and, and, and so on. But it's only um, the first relayer that gets rewarded, uh, just like in, in ICS-29, is that correct? So if you if you, you usually have yeah. multiple relayers monitoring the channel and they'll all pick up the packet, right? That's that's some of the waste yeah. that's happening on chains now. And all of yeah. them pay for the transaction on the on the target chain, just trying to ship it there. But essentially, like, so, so the big question is, how do you reward these guys, which you were, I guess, alluding to earlier? Uh, so the catalyst construction makes this even more competitive, if I understand it right, because it will start reducing the price depending on uh, how late the the relay number one is. But you still, if you're relaying, you still don't know if you're going to be number one. 
Yes, yes. Unfortunately, no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, life's hard for relayers. Uh, thanks yeah, for yeah. doing. Thanks for doing the work, guys. It's it's uh, it's totally not easy. So you were talking about the, the end state. I'd be interested in your your sort of vision of what the future of of the crypto ecosystem looks like, and what you know what interop um, is going to look like. Yeah. So I, I think in the, in the long term time horizon. Every chain uh, or chain framework will enshrine some uh, interoperability standard, uh, be it IBC or you know some other future standard that doesn't uh, yet exist. Um, but we're kind of, we kind of already see it. So if you look at IBC alone, it has I would say like market penetration into not just the Cosmos SDK. Uh, the Sovereign SDK recently added support. I believe Rokit is going to add support for it as well. Um, so it, it'll have penetration into multiple ecosystems. Also with our work um, on bringing Cosmos SDK rollups to Ethereum, now like Ethereum L2s can have like natively enshrined IBC as well. So there's you know significant market penetration already. Uh, but in this world where every uh, chain or chain framework enshrines a single interoperability standard, I, I'm anticipating that we'll do things like get rid of these relayers. You know, as you mentioned, even if we have incentives, uh, relayers will compete and, you know, one will succeed and uh, the, the failing transactions will not be reported. And in a world where you can establish a P2P overlay, the job of a relay and confirming like cross-chain transactions is now the responsibility of the validator set of the chains that are, are, are connected. Um, so, so now there's, uh, <clears throat> it's baked in, in protocol for, uh, you know, forwarding the proofs that something happened, um, emitting something over the network that we saw a packet being committed, um, and it would just be expected to be processed by um, by the different uh, valve sets. In terms of incentives, uh, there's multiple ways you can you can go about it. Chains can like emit incentives and have like you know different chains hold interchain accounts on their counterparts. Um, it could be a very interesting setup um, and, and, and like different well, ways you can explore on the incentive side. Um, yeah, so I'm interested. Uh, I, I'm wondering what the future will look like uh, as we started out uh, discussing, like there seems to be a lot of fragmentation. Yeah. Um, so let's hope you guys can unify uh, the crypto world and make it all connected. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the uh, fragmentation bit is, uh, and especially the, the maintenance cost bit is, is really interesting. I, I, I sincerely don't believe that the current approach taken by uh, existing solutions will scale. If you have to implement interop at the VM layer, you you have to account for the chain internals of every new chain type that's connected to the network. Imagine this at internet scale. So you know you have like billions of devices connected to the internet, and maybe like let's say there's like millions of device types. So the second you add a new device type, you have to if if you have to then modify the networking library or like the TCP/IP library across all these other millions of devices to account for this new device type. It sounds like a like a horrendously painful developer experience. Um, it, it, it doesn't work like this uh, in, right. in, in Web two, but we 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 are in uh, in that state in, in Web three today. Okay, looking to you guys to fix it then. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for coming on board. This was this was most instructive. I definitely learned something new about IBC today. Yeah. Thanks, Martin. Yeah. All right. See you later. See you around. Have a good one.